Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So back in high school, I played upright bass in the orchestra. And I was pretty good. I practiced a fair amount. I was first chair in our particular orchestra. And I'm pretty competitive by nature. So when I heard about this regional orchestra competition to see who the best bass players were around the Houston area, I immediately signed up. Now, my bass instructor that I took private lessons from, he was the tops in the whole area. In fact, all the best bass players took lessons from this particular guy. And I remember one afternoon, after playing a rather complex piece of classical music in front of my teacher, he pulled me aside afterwards and said, Brian, just between you and me, I know that I know that you're going to be number one in regional orchestra this year. Like, you're the top dog. You're the man. Well, my head barely fit out the door that afternoon. I mean, I strutted out of there like the stud I knew I was, totally overconfident in my abilities. And from that day on, I kind of let my guard down a bit. I didn't practice like I should have. And then finally, the day of the regional orchestra auditions took place. And I'm in there playing this complex piece of classical music. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're killing it. Like, you're the man. Mozart's got nothing on you. And I'm kind of playing along. And typically, you read the entire score of music. It's many pages, a lot of repeats. But you have portions memorized. And so I was kind of getting into a zone in this area where I knew that I had these measures memorized. And I was just clipping along. And all of a sudden, I looked up. And I realized I didn't know where I was in the music. I lost my place in the score. So I panicked. I started botching notes. And eventually, I had to do the unthinkable. I had to stop and restart, which you never, ever want to do. Now, the judges, right, they're behind a curtain. So they didn't know me from Adam. And they spoke to me kind of like I was a beginner, remedial bass student. And they said, you know what, son? Just relax over there. You know, pick it up at measure 76. I was flabbergasted. I don't remember anything after that, except I didn't play very well. And later that afternoon, when the results came out, I wasn't first chair in region orchestra. Not second chair, not third chair. I ended up fourth chair in the regional orchestra. And I was totally humiliated by that. Like, I didn't want to go to the rehearsals, didn't want to play the concert. You know, people who knew me well came up to me and said, Brian, fourth chair, what happened, bro? My teacher was disappointed. I mean, that one little mistake led to a world of hurt in my life. But, you know, I learned a lesson through that, a lesson about pride and letting your guard down, and also a lesson about the fact that one little mistake can create big problems in your life, which ties into our message today. You know, I want to talk to you today about keeping your guard up as a Christian. You know, in a church like ours that teaches grace, believes in grace, lives in grace, it can be very easy to look at little things we do wrong and say, eh, it's no big deal, right? Just a little sin. God will forgive me. What's the harm in this? And those who are the most vulnerable may be the ones who feel the strongest in their spiritual walk. 
You know, in his book, The Place of Help, Oswald Chambers said this. He said, the Bible characters never fell in their weak points, but on their strong ones. That unguarded strength is double weakness. Boy, that is so true. Unguarded strength is double weakness. So friends, let's pay attention to this story today. Because I believe God has something to say to every single one of us. So we're in this series from the book of Joshua. And we've arrived at verse 1 of Joshua 7. And it begins with the word, but. You see, in chapter 6, something incredible happened. The walls of Jericho fell down. They took over the city. And as best we can tell from the text, they probably didn't lose a single soldier in the battle of Jericho. I mean, that's incredible. A great victory was won. But, but, just because you won once doesn't mean you're going to win the second time. So let's dive into the text here. It says, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Okay, one of the men took some of the spoils from Jericho that the Lord instructed them not to take. It says, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Wow. Okay, so Joshua sends spies to check out the land. That's his MO, right? And the spies come back and say, listen, let everybody sleep in. There are only a few people up there. We can beat these punks easily. So they send around 3,000 men up the rocks to fight against this fortified stronghold, and they get whooped. But what happened here? Well, I'll tell you what happened. A little sin created a big problem. A little sin created a big problem. Now, you might think, well, there are only 36 casualties. That's not a lot of people, is it? Well, it depends. If you or a family member were one of the 36, yeah, it is a lot. But here's the kicker. The people's confidence took a big hit. They were completely demoralized. The text says their hearts melted. And beginning in, in verse 6, hey, Joshua asks why. It says, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord. What can I say now that Israel's been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? 
you know, basically, Josh was saying, God, don't you understand? You're blowing it. I mean, what are you doing? He's laying the blame for the defeat in God's lap. Now, God's about to tell Josh, he's barking up the wrong tree. God says, hey, buddy, I didn't cause this problem. Verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now, those are some strong words coming from God's lips. God says, listen, if you're expecting me to help you, then you're going to obey. If you're expecting me to go before you and bless you, you're going to obey. And if you don't obey, I will not be with you anymore. Like a little sin, someone stealing created a big problem. I mean, a whole nation losing God's protection. But God tells them what to do in verse 13. It says, go, consecrate the people. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Now, the devoted things were all the things in Jericho that were supposed to be offered up as a burnt offering to God. I mean, they included everything except the special metal articles, the gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Those were to be put into the temple treasury. And every man in Israel, every woman in Israel was instructed very clearly, you can't take anything from Jericho for yourself. But we're about to discover that a man named Achan was both a thief and a liar. He stole from God and he covered it up. And what Achan did would be like an Israelite seeing a nice leg of lamb roasting on the altar of the burnt offering before God, snagging it and going off to a corner of the temple to chew on that barbecue. Or as a collection for the temple was being taken, you know, putting your hand in the collection plate and slipping the money into your pocket. I mean, taking devoted things was literally stealing from God. And even though Achan was the individual who sinned, God regarded what he did as the action of the whole nation because he was a member of the community of Israel. You know, the Hebrew word unfaithfully here, mal, means treacherously. This was an act of treachery. Achan stole what was God's and robbed the whole nation of Israel of its purity before God. And since God couldn't bless them in the next battle, 36 people died. 36 people. You know, if you're a part of a team and you mess up, the whole team suffers, right? And we see this on a football field. You draw a penalty and your whole team gets penalized. You can lose the game over that. You go rogue as part of a military assignment, Others in your unit can die, right? It happens all the time. A little personal sin creates a big community problem. 
So God tells them to go through this elaborate ceremony where all the people line up by tribes, clans, families, until they find the one who did it. Now, you got to ask, why didn't God just say, hey, bring Achan out here. He's the guy who ripped us off. Well, I think God was giving Achan a chance to come forward and confess. God's a God of grace and mercy. And if Achan had come forward early on, his life may have been spared. Now, I remember as a child, you know, one afternoon, I was walking down the road with a friend of mine. We were kind of bored. And all of a sudden, we noticed off to the side of the road two shimmering glass Coke bottles. And we became instantly curious what would happen if we took those bottles and hurled them way up in the air. And so on a dare, my, my friend looked to the right, looked to the left, and we didn't see anybody around us. And so he grabbed one of those glass Coke bottles and yelled, remember the Alamo, and hurled it up as high as he could. And then I grabbed the other one and said, remember Goliad, chuck mine way up in the air. And then we ran down the road laughing at our stupid antics to the sound of shattering glass behind us. And we ran for a while, then jogged, and then slowed down and walked, thinking we were totally in the clear. And then all of a sudden, we heard this booming voice from way down the road. Hey, you two boys, come back here. So we turned around and approached this rather large figure. And he said to us, you know, do you guys know how this glass got here in the middle of the road? Right, and that was kind of the moment of truth. I mean, we could either fess up or feign ignorance. And we were pretty confident there's no way he saw us do it. No way he could prove it, but not entirely sure. And neither one of us was a Christian at the time, so it definitely wasn't the Holy Spirit working inside of us. But maybe it was just our guilty conscience. We decided to fess up. We told him what we had done. That was a good thing that we did. Turned out he was an off-duty police officer. He was peering through his window the whole time. He saw everything. And he was just testing us with that question. And he said, because you boys came back, because you boys were honest about this, if you promise to clean up this mess and never do something so asinine ever again, I won't call your parents and I won't turn you in. You know, that day I learned a lesson about coming forward and confessing. You see, I believe that's what God was giving Achan an opportunity to do right here to come forward, to confess his sin through this long and elaborate process. But he chose not to, right? Back to the text. This is verse 16. It says, early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taken. Says Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Okay, by, by this time, right, he gambled that out of two million people, there's no way they'd be able to pinpoint it down to him. Well, he lost the bet. He lost the bet. You know, a little sin created a big problem. Achan replied, yeah, it is, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. 
This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. And then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Okay, we're going to come back to that word Achor here in a bit. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. The Lord's going to bring some trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. You know, this is so, so fascinating to me. Because in Proverbs 15, 27, we are warned that the greedy bring ruin to their households. The greedy bring ruin to their households. You know, that's exactly what happened here. The Israelites punished not just Achan, but his wife and his children with them. And I know people struggle with this sometimes, but most commentators agree that this is because they had participated in his sin. I mean, in that day, it would have been nearly impossible for Achan to hide the amount of spoil he had taken under his tent without raising the suspicions of his family. And by the way, they all knew the consequences for this sin. I mean, the punishment was clearly spelled out in the law over in Deuteronomy chapter 13. I mean, these were the laws of the land. Now, if you dig deep into the text, there's something cool in the Hebrew here. You see that that word achor, the valley of achor in Hebrew, that word achor means trouble or problem. Isn't it interesting that achor sounds an awful lot like Achan? I mean, in the same way that Achan brought trouble on the whole nation of Israel by stealing from God. So God brought trouble on Achan and his whole family. And what's the moral of the story? Keep your guard up because a little sin can create a big problem. All right, that's the Bible story. Now I want us to stop here and see if we can't uncover a few principles that'll help us keep our guard up, that will help us to protect us from a little sin. I think the first key principle here in this passage is that we are vulnerable after victory. In fact, I would say that oftentimes we are the most vulnerable after victory. That's why Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, he says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Whenever you start to think, oh, man, I have come down the road pretty far spiritually. I've done a lot for the Lord. I have served in so many ministries, taught so many classes, led so many people to Christ. Whenever you think you're spiritually impenetrable, that's when you gotta be careful because Satan often attacks us at the point of our greatest successes. Remember, the Bible characters never fell on their weak points, but on their strong ones. Unguarded strength is double weakness. You know, there's no evidence in this passage that Joshua prayed 
before he sent those guys into battle? He sent 3,000 of his troops to fight in a difficult setting, and he was obviously a little overconfident in his strength. Never crossed his mind that this battle might fail because there was sin in the camp. So we have to be very, very careful. I mean, we are vulnerable after victory. All right, the next principle we can draw from this story is that sin cannot be hidden from God. Right? Achan took the robe, gold, silver, buried in the ground, and he's thinking, no one will ever know, right? No one saw what I did. And if I keep my mouth shut, I'll be okay. But you know what God sees? God always sees. You know, if you're an avid baseball fan, I mean, this is an exciting time of the year, right? Playoffs are underway. I know I'm psyched up. My Astros are still in it. It's great. And if you're a baseball aficionado, did you know that a guy by the name of John J. McGraw is credited with bringing the third base umpire into the major leagues? Yeah. John J. McGraw, he was a third baseman for the old Baltimore Orioles, and he had a reputation. And this is what he would do. Whenever there was a runner on third base, he would kind of crowd that base. He would get very, very close to the runner as if he was just playing the bag. But he would reach out when the ball was hit and loop his finger around the player's belt. And that way, if the player started to head for home, he could tug back on it for just a split second. And that would give a little edge if the throw came to home plate. Well, the players started to protest this, but nobody around the league could really pinpoint it or prove that he was doing it. Until one day, a very smart baseball player secretly unbuckled the front of his belt. And sure enough, McGraw was there at third base, the ball was hit, and McGraw reached out and kind of looped his finger through that belt. And as that player slid into home plate, if you look back at third base, you saw McGraw standing there holding the player's belt with a sheepish grin. Right, sooner or later, he was going to get caught. And folks, God knows. God knows. He sees what we're doing in life. And for those who refuse to confess and repent, he's not beyond bringing their sin to light publicly. I mean, he did it in this story here. And Luke 12, 2 to 3 is a sobering passage. I want you to listen to this. It says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Sin cannot be hidden from God. All right, a third and final principle from this chapter is that sin follows a predictable pattern. It follows a predictable pattern. I want you to look at verse 21. Achan says this, When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and took them. Okay, here we have the pattern of sin. It's very predictable. If you learn this principle that sin follows a predictable pattern and you apply it to your life, then I'm telling you, Joshua 7 is going to be worth its weight in gold to you. And it begins with the eyes. Right, Achan said, when I saw. First, he saw it. He became aware of the presence of temptation. Then it goes from the eyes to the heart. Right after he saw it, Achan said, I coveted it. I desired, I wanted it. Then finally, it goes to the hand. He says, I took it. I mean, the progression of sin is simple. 
And it happens over and over and over again. First, there's the awareness of temptation. Starts with the eyes. Then it's followed by a desire in the heart. And then it results in an action. And this pattern is so consistent, people. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 3? First, Eve saw that the tree was good for food. Then she understood it was desirable to make her wise. Right? Her heart coveted it. And then she took it and ate it. David and Bathsheba. David goes up on the roof of his house, looks down, and here's the pattern. He sees her with his eyes, then wants her in his heart, then takes her. So what's the take-home lesson here? Watch your eyes. Watch your eyes. Whatever you begin to look at or, or whenever you begin to contemplate something in your mind's eye that you know is wrong, that's the time to stop. Like, don't wait until your heart is just eating away with desire to get it. And by that time, you're way down the slippery slope. Satan wants to take you out. So be careful. Be careful with what you spend your time focusing on. Because whatever you're thinking about or looking at, that's where a temptation will drag you into sin. People, here's the bottom line. Keep your guard up. A little sin can create a big problem. And really, here's the twist. You ready for this? Here's the twist. There's no such thing as a little sin. There's really no such thing as a little sin. Folks, this is so important. The reason God has a problem with sin and won't support it, it's because it hurts people. It hurts you and it hurts those around you. If you're a believer, you say, well, if you put your faith in Jesus, will God forgive me when I sin? Absolutely, right? God will forgive you. You won't lose your place as his child. He's not gonna send you to hell for your sins. Jesus paid for those on the cross. So you'll be in heaven one day if you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus. But that's not the whole story. There is still a price to pay. There's always a price to pay for sin. You know, Galatians 6, 7 in the New Testament says this. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You know, whatever a person sows in life, it's going to grow up and he's going to reap the consequences. I like what Dr. Tom Constable said about this particular story. Listen to this. He said, Achan and his family are a strong warning of the consequences of sin among God's people. The fact that God does not judge sin today as he did on these occasions doesn't mean he feels any less strongly about it. He mercifully withholds judgment in most instances. But God's punishment on Achan was not unfair. It's only by God's mercy that any sinner lives to old age. God can judge any sinner at any time in their life and be perfectly just. You know, the Bible says the wages, the penalty of sin, the price for sin is death. And that's not just talking about physical death. You know, the word death in the Bible means separation. Your physical body dies and your body separates from your soul. So death means separation. Separation from God, separation from others, separation from good things, from blessings. The reason God hates sin is because it hurts people. I mean, just like in this story, right? Sin hurts you. Sin hurts your family. Sin hurts your friends. Sin hurts the church. And a little sin can create big problems. And you know this in life. Drinking a, a little too much 
can create a big alcoholic problem. I saw that in my own life with my mother. She never broke free from alcoholism. It was so sad to watch. You know, a little clicking on an image online can turn into an addiction and create a big immorality problem. And I've seen far too many marriages and, and families just destroyed by that. A little spending a bit too much here and there can create a big financial hole that makes you a slave to creditors. Every big problem started somewhere with a little sin. So keep your guard up. A little sin can create a big problem. You know, over the years, I have known individuals who would have been considered just stellar in their Christian faith. But they allowed disobedience on a small level to take root in their lives. And over time, they drifted and began doing things that nobody ever imagined they would do. And I remind myself that if it could happen to them, it can happen to me. And if it can happen to me, it can happen to you too. How does it happen? It happens when we forget that good, solid, strong, spiritual people can be taken down by one little sin. So the best offense is a good defense. Keep your guard up. Don't even dabble with sin. Remember, a little sin can create a big problem. Pray with me. Lord, my prayer for everybody listening to this message is that we would learn from this example. God, that we would learn that, that sin damages people. In, in this case, one individual's sin caused the death of so, so many. And the wages of sin is death. And not always or not just physical death, but sin separates us from the good life, from what you desire for us. It, it separates us from your blessings. It separates us in, in friendships, in our family. God, we just don't want to dabble. We don't want to get caught up in little sins because there's really no such thing as a little sin. Any sin can create a big, big problem. So God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would just apply this truth, that we would keep our guard up at all times and just not allow ourselves to just be drugged down that path of enticement, that we would watch our eyes so that we wouldn't be looking at things or contemplating things we shouldn't. And we would watch our heart that it would not covet and desire things that it shouldn't. And then ultimately that will keep us from going places and doing things or saying things that we shouldn't. So Lord, I thank you for this message. I pray that we would all take it seriously and take it to heart and bring honor and glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.